Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Godsplaining. My name is Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, and I am introducing today's episode. Right now, I am in Providence, and I am joined today for our discussion on salvation and the church by Father Gregory Maria Pine, who joins us from... Where are you, Father Gregory? I am in Washington, D.C. I'm at the uh, Dominican House of Studies. You may know it as the Dominican House of Buddies, but regardless of what you call it by, it's the same place, and I am there. A rose by any other name still has thorns. (laughs) (laughs) Bingo. <laughs> That's right. That's a beautiful thing. Um, well, I so uh, I'm joining from Providence, but my uh, uh, studio cell is a mess right now <laughs> because uh, I am actually packing, which is fun to share with our listeners. So I have a move in my future, and I'll be joining Father Gregory and the boys in D.C. Uh, for the future. So I've re- received a new assignment from our provincial. Um, so, yeah, I'll see you there soon in person boom i draw all things to myself says jesus about the house of studies with emendations <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah so the party you know the party keeps on going i think father bonaventure oh, yeah. you know uh is going to um let me share some of his research on kant i have lots of things to say about kant that should be very exciting <laughs> should really add to the to the scholarly <laughs> research he's doing so Indubitably. I have, uh, for our listeners, I have nothing to say about Kant. Um, <laughs> I sort of know who he is, kind of. Yeah. I know, uh, as one brother at the Dominican House of Studies said while we were in formation, I know about as much of Kant as an American gunner knows about German aircraft during the Second World War. <laughs> Which is to say... <laughs> Target acquired. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Enough to destroy mm, without any sympathy or genuine understanding of the thing. But hey, what? Serve me well, kind of. Maybe? That's hard right. to say. That's an imperative for a category. <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice. Thanks. Throw the words around. Yeah. See if they can Yeah, tell. you know, we'll just see what sticks. Uh, well, with, I think that before I get myself into any further trouble or, or embarrassment, you know, having already caused enough, um, but let's dive into today's conversation. This is a, this is a, a topic that I find myself frequently discussing as a priest. In fact, um, a couple weeks ago, I got to go visit some friends, and they were uh, talking about the question of baptism for their son and what it, what it would mean in their lives. And it was great to be with them. Um, but for, for Christians, uh, baptism is kind of a key moment that this, that this conversation about salvation happens. Um, it happens as Catholics anytime we participate in the public square, right? You gather with our fellow travelers, um, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are not Catholic. What does the Catholic Church think about their relationship with the body of Christ? Um, and then it asks uh, ur- urgent questions about our relationship uh, to non-Christians who also believe in God. Um, what does the Catholic Church teach about the possibility of their salvation? So all, all of these are pressing questions, and they're very pressing because um, our answers to them direct our evangelical projects. So if we say from the outset, oh, everything's fine, and everyone is saved, and there's always salvation, we, we might be wondering, well, why, why do we need the church at all? And so these kinds of extreme, large questions happen right away in, in very big ways. So, Father Gregory, let's first start about uh, dialing on this first aspect 
of today's topic, right? We're talking about salvation. The question is, is there salvation outside of the Catholic Church? Um, let's start by looking at salvation. What does that mean? What are we talking about as Catholics when we say we are saved? Um, what does that look like for us? Yeah, this is actually, oh wow, this could be like a, a real nerd opportunity. Um, I, I just blended the two words, nerd and opportunity, and it came out nerd. Uh, I'm off to a great start. <clears throat> I'll just it's keep a, talking. It's an opportunity, I believe. <laughs> Um, so this is, uh, something that I've been researching for my dissertation and it seems like a good way to begin answering the question is simply to say that salvation is grace, right? So to be saved is to enjoy health. So one of the words often used to describe salvation is salus, which can also mean health. And when you talk about the health of your soul, the health of your person, we're talking about it here in a supernatural register because mm -hmm. it's not enough just to like, you know, have a sound body as it were you need to have a sound soul and for that one needs his or her nature healed and elevated by grace so when we're talking about this we're talking about how god communicates grace and specifically how he communicates it through with and in his holy church so yeah maybe that's a good place to start yeah i think that's right because what we have to say is that something is happening there's a real action being done. It can't be nothing. Uh, it's not enough to say that God creates us and we fall from the mystery of his love and then we just are. <laughs> What's the rest of the story? For, for, Christian, for Christians, the story is that we were created in love, in, in union with God, with his life, with his grace within us. We fell from it. And then this is the means by which we're drawn back to it. Um, so when we're talking about salvation, we're talking about the communication of grace, of divine life, like Father Gregory was saying, and that that's a real thing being done to us, which means we can know it. God invites us in to observe it and to discuss it. So one of the things Father Gregory said, um, uh, has said er earlier when we were chatting about the episode, he said that uh, salvation can't be ignorance. We have to rule that out right away. I think that's very helpful. Could you say a little more about that? Yeah, sure. I think just simply, um, well, just when you observe conversations about this topic, sometimes people will go straight to this idea of invincible ignorance, right? Mm -hmm. We feel very acutely this um, injustice or perceived injustice that someone could be excluded from eternal life by mere virtue of the fact that, you know, he was born before Christ in the jungle on some far off island, you know, many miles from Palestine. And so we say like, oh, well, he was invincibly ignorant, so it all comes out in the wash, and surely he'll be in heaven. But I think the problem with those types of conversations is that they seem to suggest that salvation is just the absence of fault, right? But it's not. Salvation isn't just the absence of fault. And truth be told, by virtue of original sin, we're all born into a condition of fault. And so we need to be saved by something, right? What we're talking about isn't just the absence of, it's the presence of something. And that something, like we said, is grace. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's good to orient the, orient the subsequent discussion in that way. Like, how is it that the Lord meets us in and through his church? How is it that the Lord saves us in and through his church? How is it that the Lord draws us into heaven in and through his church? Okay, now what about the person of Christ? Um, you know, at the beginning of the conversation, I made a distinction between Christians, who are our fellow travelers, who believe in the person of Jesus, and those who believe in God. Here I'm thinking of devout Jews or devout Muslims who don't believe in the person of Christ, um, certainly they don't believe what Christians believe about the person of Christ. Uh, 
what what role does Jesus have in the communication of this grace, and how is that role not um, how, how does how is that role not limited by time? So, for example, I, often when the question of salvation comes up, someone says, "Well, what about those who who lived before Christ, uh, or what about what about those who who you know maybe maybe they would believe, but they didn't meet." Jesus in the flesh, so now they have a hard time believing. Um, so, so we have we have the kind of historical contingencies that occur as a result of the incarnation, um, and how does the church address those in light of this doctrine of salvation? Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great question. It's a great point. Um, I think that again, approaching it from the question of salvation, salvation is premised upon getting God right, not in the sense of like I've got the right answer and everyone else stinks, but in the sense that like. You can only communicate a sharing in divine life if you're, I don't know, like pointed at the right divine thing, as it were. Well, there's only one divine thing, but if you have a um, a clear or a coherent teaching of who that divine person is, such that when you speak or preach or when you administer sacraments, right, which flow from said divine person, that they're going to be premised on on a truth, okay, or the fullness of a truth. And so... Not incidentally, it's only Christians, right, who hold for a triune God. It's only Christians who hold for the incarnation the way that we do, right, that the second of the most blessed trinity took human flesh. So Christ comes, in a certain sense, to reveal the Father. Christ comes to reveal uh, that he is one of a trinity of persons, that the Word is one of a trinity of persons. And those would be the two biggest teachings of the Catholic Church, that God is triune and that the Lord is incarnate. And so grace comes to us through the incarnate Lord, uh, as a partaking or a sharing in the life of the triune God. But, just by mere virtue of the fact that our Lord is born time-bound, he takes to himself a, a human nature in this time and this place, uh, that does not mean that his grace is limited to that, that time during which he lived on earth or just subsequent generations. Because, uh, you know, we talk about, like, grace, time, travel, and by we, I mean me, um, and by <laughs> grace, time, travel, I mean there are more appropriate ways to describe this. Um, the Lord can disperse grace by virtue of the divine power. So his human nature is wed to a divine person. That divine person is eternal, which means that he holds all of his life in one simultaneous embrace. And we, you know, whether past, present, or future, who partake of that divine being, who share in that divine being, who only are, insofar as God wills us to be, are all present to God in his eternal now. And so, the Lord's human nature, when it does things meritoriously or satisfactorily, it can apply those graces or kind of disperse those graces by virtue of the divine power to times past, present, and future. The most example, I mean, most example, <laughs> I need um, an adjective before that noun. The most excellent example of which is the grace of the Immaculate Conception. So how is it that the Blessed Mother is preserved from sin? Well, it's like a kind of intense sharing in the liberation that we who are downstream of the redemption enjoy. So it's not that Our Lady is exempted from redemption. It's that she shares in it most perfectly. She shares in it most excellently because Our Lord's grace can be applied to her in that way by the divine power. Yeah, I think there's a real risk of when we start talking about Jesus to separate Jesus as if he were doing something different from the Trinity, but one of the, one of the principles of Thomistic theology that has saved me from many a heresy is that um, ad extra, outside of itself, the Trinity always operates as one. The creation of the world wasn't an act done by the Father as if the Son and the Holy Spirit were just kicking back, you know, 
drinking beers, watching it work. Uh, you know, like get in there, Father. We're, you know, you got this one. Uh, but but all, all of creation is an act ad extra done outside of the Trinity by the Trinity, and um, this is why the importance of uh, the, the, this this principle helps us from introducing um, separation into the Trinity, which Christians always need to avoid, and it helps us to understand how the work of Jesus is not a thing apart from uh, apart from the general redeeming work from the from the original redeeming work that God first planned. Um, so I think that principle can be helpful here, too, uh, to, to understand um, what it means to bring uh, Christ, or, or what Christians mean when we bring Christ into this question about salvation. Um, but let, let's turn now um, to to how this works. How this works. Uh, you know, it's, again, we, we, you know, we've got the historical fact that Christ lived and died some 2,000 years ago, and the reality that God has decided that the church would be a particular vehicle. The church would be a means um, by this eternal design of the Father, uh, of God's love, uh, that the church would be the privileged means for the communication of grace and the mysteries, the, the preaching of the mysteries of salvation. Uh, so what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think that, like, um, there's a distinction drawn between objective salvation and subjective salvation. You already recognize where we're going here, just uh, kind of at the face value of the words. But Christ merits, or Christ uh, earns, salvation for us throughout the entirety of his life, but most especially in the passion, death, and resurrection. But it remains for that salvation to be applied. And if it's to be applied to us, we need it applied willingly, right? Or we need to consent to and cooperate with that application. Another way of saying this is that we need to make contact with that salvation. We need like a, a bridge built from that salvation to our one little life, as it were. Mm. And that's done through faith and the sacraments, right? Which faith and sacraments are safeguarded and communicated in the life of the church, which highlights for us why, why it's so significant that the church is the church or why the church is so saving or why the church is saving. I shouldn't qualify something that is absolute. Um, so we need to have the interior dispositions, and we need to have the means applied to us in order that we can access that salvation. So faith is obviously the kind of first principle because it opens our mind to the possibility, to the existence of, you know, God, you know, the incarnation, the fact of redemption, our, our place in God's divine plan, things like that. And so because we recognize it, then we can desire it, then we can consent to and cooperate with it. St. Thomas says that, um, you know, salvation is applied to us spiritually by faith and corporeally, he says, by sacrament. So we're body, soul composites, right? We're embodied souls or in soul bodies. And as a result of which, we need, to be, we need to be saved whole and entire. And the sacraments communicate to us through corporeal signs in such a way that by touching the body, right? Um, by, however, changing the body, they actually transform the whole person. So this salvation, one for us, must be applied to us in time and space. It must be appropriated by us, as some people will like to describe it. And to do that, we need to participate in it by faith and the partaking of sacraments. So salvation, which transpires, you know, from God through Christ in the church by means of faith and sacraments, has to touch us in this very personal way. As I was thinking of analogies for this, like ways to explain it, uh, I was thinking of the library. You know, we're Dominicans. We, we love books. We love talking about books. And there's a difference between 
the library being there, the library being open, the library being staffed, books not being in quarantine, but being able to be lent. <laughs> There's a difference between the library being and all of the all of the things that are intended for use for the building up of the common good, not for particular political agendas uh but there's there's things about the library that are important it's great that the library is and there's a difference between all of those things and going to the library and getting a book and that's part of what we're talking about here with god's plan for grace and the plan for redemption and making that reality come to pass in our lives it's not that we do it but the, that we cooperate with the plan that has you know that that, that is there that that exists for us you know so um, the library's there, and it's the difference between sort of marveling at the fact that the library is there, talking about the library being there, and going to the library and getting a book and reading it, and being changed by what the library has to offer. Okay, well, I'm going to pause there. We're going to take a short break, and uh, we're going to be right back. You see how I did that so that Father Gregory couldn't destroy me for the library analogy. So that was all intentional and quick. All right, we'll, we'll be back with you in a second. Are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. Friends, thank you for listening to Godsplaining. We're back. We're talking about libraries and salvation, uh, being saved by books. Not actually. We're talking about being saved by the graces of Christ and his holy church. The the thing about the sacraments that Father Gregory was emphasizing, their corporal nature, that they do things for us in our lives, grants us a certainty about the work of God in a particular way. So uh, another analogy, and this one might be a little bit more fun, is that this is the difference between building a Lego set according to the instructions and slapping a bunch of pieces together and hoping it's cool. Uh, what what God offers us in the church, in the sacraments, is an instruction set to make something beautiful that was intended in the mind of the designer, as opposed to um, being a six-year-old and piling the pieces on top of each other and hoping that they come out just right. I mean, in, the, in my point here, again, in the sacraments and in, uh, in the teachings of the church, we can expand this a little bit, uh, that in these privileged means for the communication of grace... Uh, God allows our hearts to be settled and to be sure, and outside of that, things become more uncertain. So let's talk a little bit about this. Um, first, though, let's let's say what what is the what is the bare minimum of the instructions that we have to follow, Father Gregory? What's the bare minimum of what must be believed? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> I remember at one point. I was working with Father Bonaventure in the Novitiate Library, and um, in any library, you know, just to uh, revisit that sweet analogy from the end of the first half of the episode, which I wholly approve of. Um, oh, thank you. In, in, any li- in any library, you know, you uh, accumulate some strange books or some dubious books or some wonky books over the course of many years, and so periodically you have to perform a purge. Uh, so Father Bonaventure and I were responsible for perform- performing said purge over the course of many weeks in the novitiate. And there's this one book that he, he purged, and he held it up to me, and it seemed like it had an inoffensive title. Um, and I was like, why, why, why does that one have to go? He says, this book is informed by one principle. How little do I have to believe without falling afoul of the church's teaching? <laughs> 
So I think that like, I, I, love, I love the question of how little need one believe. And it's fascinating in a certain sense, like what we just said about faith and sacraments actually gives us a good way by which to understand how one can participate in kind of degrees or how one can participate on a spectrum in the fullness of the church's life. So St. Thomas will say in the Treatise on Faith in the Summa, he says that the baseline is, is mapped out for us in Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6 says that like God rewards those who believe that he is, right, and that he is provident, Right? So, like, that God exists and that he is provident or that he provides for those who love him. Hmm. And uh, St. Thomas actually mapped this on to the two main teachings of the faith, namely that God is triune and that the Lord is incarnate, which we mentioned earlier. And I'll go ahead and say that, like, look at the creed. You know, you've got 14 articles. Seven of them pertain to the triune God. Seven of them pertain to the incarnate Lord. So he says, if we're to be saved, we need to have faith, because faith mediates to us the knowledge of the triune God and the incarnate Lord. And that faith needs to be fired by charity, because we need to have grace, right? Which grace comes to us ordinarily in the Catholic Church through sacraments. So belief is tied to the, the fullness of the life of grace, right? So, so our faith can either be dead, right, without charity, or it can be alive. Or, you know, another way of saying that is it can be uninformed, or it can be informed. So in order to be saved, one must have formed faith. One must have faith and charity. So one must believe these, these basic things at some level about God, and then he or she must have uh, a desire for those realities, a love of those realities, an efficacious relationship to those realities. Okay, so, uh, you know, minimalism might work for a kind of lifestyle in the sense of not accumulating material goods that distract one from the important things in life. 10 out of 10 endorse that. But minimalism with respect to the life of grace and the sacraments, probably a bad idea. So how is it then, Father Gregory, that these gifts of grace um, and that these truths uh, of our faith, um, how is it then that uh, that these things are not compromised. What hope are we to have for people who don't know them? So the the, the reason I use the word compromise, right, is that it, it seems to offend, uh, cause some kind of doctrinal offense. Um, it seems to mar the teaching of the church, which is the teaching of Christ, by the way, on this question. Um, particularly, you know, let's 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 bracket for the side not uh, let's bracket for the side the question of, of Christian. Uh, inter-Christian disputes, and let's just say, let's talk about someone who does not believe in Christ. Um, what what hope is there for them to be saved? So here, I would say like a couple of helpful things come to us in, um, let's see, Lumen Gentium, which is the dogmatic constitution of the Church from the Second Vatican Council, which does a beautiful job of kind of crystallizing the Church's teaching on uh, on just this question. And the, the Constitution will say that the Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church. It's not, a, it's not a firm identity, right? It doesn't simply say, like, the Church of Christ is the Catholic Church. It may mean that, and I, and I think Cardinal Ratzinger at one point just read it to say that. But I think that that language is chosen to show that there's a kind of dynamism of all other, you know, ecclesial traditions or all other faith backgrounds. or There's, there's a kind of dynamism of all peoples towards the communion or unity of the Catholic Church insofar as it is the locus of salvation, Okay, so if that's the case, then uh, Lumen Gentium goes on to say that, that we may be able to detect elements of grace and salvation outside of the visible bounds of the church, because this dynamism, it's not like, 
Ranarian grace, for those of you who understand what Ranarian grace is, know that I'm not talking about Ranarian grace for everyone else, which is to say everyone, it doesn't matter. So I'm not saying that like, you know, everyone's fine because they're everyone. I'm saying that there's a sense in which the Church of Christ is almost operative outside of the bounds of the Catholic Church, okay? Now how, how exactly could that be the case or, or how might we account for that? Well, I think, I think oftentimes as Catholics, we're, we're used to thinking somewhat juridically. So how do we define the church? Well, you can, you can look at the definition given by St. Robert Bellarmine. He says, you know, you got integral faith, you got the, the seven true sacraments, and you've got ecclesiastical governance. You know, you got the pope, you got the bishops, you got apostolic succession, you got validly ordained ministers, etc. And I think that's helpful for demarcating. But there's also a sense in which the deepest identity of the church is as communion, mm-hmm. as it's spoken of in Lumen Gentium. And... You know, that communion is patterned on the most blessed trinity, and we are invited into that. You know, we're, we're, we're positively propelled into that by, by the grace which God gives. Um, but there are senses in which others outside of the bounds of the Catholic Church um, can experience something of that communion, right? So we, we, I said earlier, elements of grace and salvation. So you think about, like, Protestants, for instance. Or let's start with the Orthodox. They have the true faith, right? There are certain things on which we on which we differ, the, the most notable of which is the filioque, but they have, you know, integral faith. They have the seven sacraments, right? Validly ordained ministers and able to celebrate all with slight differences, certainly in their understanding of like baptism, which is performed in the passive voice or like um, marriage, right? Which can be blessed at the first and not blessed at the second if one is divorced and subsequently remarried. So there's some things there, okay, which, which merit um, uh, I don't know, further, further scrutiny, but you know, they, they, there's a lot going on there. And we believe that we're, uh, we're witnessing something of salvation through those ordinary means. And then you go next to like Protestants who have much of the faith and they have, you know, the sacraments of baptism and marriage. And then you go there, f- you know, to the Jews who, who are, you know, faithful to the covenant in a certain regard. And then Muslims who uh, worship the one God. And then, you know, it goes beyond there to like people of goodwill, etc. All, all seekers. So there's something happening there. But what we want to say is that what is happening there actually pertains by right to the Catholic Church, right? And that it's almost as if the Catholic Church has her, her tendrils, all right? Um, or she has her, her long arm, that would be to speak of her as if she were like a law. Um, you know, the long arm of the Catholic Church extends beyond her visible bounds and so is able to pick up people kind of on the way or draw them into the fullness of her life, her ecclesial life, by the dynamism of grace, which she has in abundance. So when we talk about like, you know, what about people who aren't Christian? What about people who aren't baptized? Well, there are certain elements of grace and salvation that pertain even to them. And you can think about like the letter to the Romans 1 and 2 with the natural law, the fact of creation, right? Which is this thoroughly Christian teaching, but which is, which is evident to all by virtue of the fact that they have minds with which to know and hearts with which to love. All right, so there we're, we're, we're even going beyond what might be called like elements of grace and salvation and speaking more in, in natural terms of creation as a first grace. But you can see how like there's this, there's this dynamism towards the Catholic Church, but there's also this evidence of the Catholic Church exercising, exercising her, I don't know, her saving power even to the furthest, furthest limits of the earth. Again, the reason here, you know, to to be faithful to the church, because this is kind of the follow-up question, right? Okay, so so then what, why why be Catholic? Why why live this way? Why take advantage of it? Uh, you know, again, that's why I put so much emphasis on the, the sure and certain nature of the sacraments right now. 
um, because they allow you basically to check out more books from the library. Uh, if we're going <laughs> to get back to the if we're going to get back to the library analogy, and you we know, are, salvation is not a points game. Um, it's not a means of earning or of action on our part. Uh, everyone is saved because of the grace of Christ. Uh, those who are saved are saved because of the grace of Christ, um, and uh, and their cooperation with those graces. So so to give into this teaching, to follow it, to be faithful to it. Uh, to struggle with it, to bear it, to want to understand it more completely, opens forth more riches to us. It allows us to be further incorporated into uh, into Christ's suffering and to to the merits of his of his love. Uh, and I think this is key, right? Because the the kind of uh, some people could just kind of throw up their arms, right, and say, "Well, why bother? You know, who 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 cares? Who wants to be invested in this?" And uh, that's not the right spirit. The right spirit is to say. Look at all that's here. You know, of course, you can't see the Louvre in a day. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't try and see any of the Louvre. Uh, go, go, and pour yourself into into the exploration of these mysteries, and uh, seek the seek uh, seek the charities that is to be held there. Not because um, uh, not uh, not because you don't need it, but be, but because it will it will offer abundance. Um, yeah, and that goes back to the kind of opening thought on you're not saved by inculpability, right? You're saved by God. You're saved by the grace that he gives. And so when we testify to the life of faith and of charity that we have found in the Catholic Church, we're testifying to the abundance, right? Because grace is just glory, right? Except in the case of glory, it can't be lost. nor It can't be grown, but it can't be lost. So what we are preparing for now is the life of heaven, and the best proximate preparation for the life of heaven is life in the Catholic Church because the Church has the fullness of those elements of grace and salvation which can prepare you most excellently and more than adequately for any trial or temptation that may befall, but ultimately for the, for the fullness of praise with which we hope to glorify God unto ages of ages and eternity. So it's not a matter of like staying out of sin. That is just the beginning, and it's not even the most important part of the beginning. Right. What, what right. lies in store and what we hope for is, you know, to live fully alive, uh, which is made available to us in spades in the Catholic Church. And so uh, we hope that after listening to this episode, you know, you'll be renewed in your evangelical zeal, that you'll have a confidence in what the Church is proclaiming, and that you won't be afraid to Im- explore the, these nuances of theology, uh, because the distinctions are important. Uh, we sound... It could be tempting to it could be tempting to accuse Catholics of being boastful, um, but this is not a truth that we've figured out. It's not a secret that we know. It's the promise that God Himself made to us. This isn't our idea. It's not something we came up with. It's the Lord speaking to us, and for that reason, we have to we have to share this message uh, with the world. So, thanks for tuning in um, to this episode today. If you have questions about this episode. Um, direct them to the podcast. We'd love to talk to you. And uh, we'll have Father Gregory answer all those emails that come in. <laughs> we've, we've got a couple a couple cool things going on uh, on the horizon. We have our in-person retreat this summer in July. We're really looking forward to that. Um, thanks to everyone that is, uh, that, that is committed to coming. So uh, we want that to be the first of many um, shared events. Uh, we want to, uh, yeah, we, we're... Uh, we're, we're really looking forward to it. I'm just going to like spin off because I'm so excited about it. I'm going to sputter and <laughs> cease to make any cease to make any intelligible sense here. Um, uh, Father Gregory, you have an announcement. 
I do. Uh, we we're, were chatting at one point, just trying to think of good ways to be in closer touch, right? Just to kind of have a better sense for what the listeners have questions on or how we could be of service, how it could be present. And we thought we would do um, occasional live streams with just opportunity for question and answers. So if you're listening to this on the day that it drops on Thursday, uh, tomorrow, Friday uh, at 4 p.m. So that would be June 11th, Feast of St. Barnabas, although it's Trump this year by the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart. That's the uh, Solemnity of the Sacred Heart official trumpet right there. Um, at 4 p.m., we're going to have uh, our first episode of live splaining. So it's going to be, yeah, we haven't, we haven't determined a time frame. We have, <laughs> yeah, we have up, all the splainings now. We have god splaining <laughs> and guest splaining and now live splaining. Yeah, buddy. So we haven't determined how often, you know, like once or twice a month, something like that, just to kind of keep it fresh. Uh, but yeah, Father Jacob Bertrand and I will be on, start chatting about something to be determined, and then we'll answer your questions. So hop on and, uh, and send them in, and we look forward to chatting. All times, by the way, because this is Dominican province of St. Joseph, we're the eastern province. All times are eastern standard daylight savings time. Yeah, so, you know, if, you li- if you're one of those West Coast people and you listen to this episode and you tune in 4 o'clock California time, you're going to be disappointed. Just a little heads yeah. up there. Um, I think that's all the news that's fit to print. Um, thank you to those who support us financially. Um, we're grateful to our Patreon sponsors. Um, know, above all, that we hold you in prayer, uh, that we love hearing from you. If you have suggestions about future episodes, don't hesitate um, to toss those in on social media. Um, thanks for liking and sharing the podcast. Your recommendations are what help us grow. So feel free to look the episode up on YouTube and drop it on your Facebook page. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Um, God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.